0: Jake Mansell with HJ Sports, and today we're going to go over our new sights within the Tetra line for 2022. So, new for 2022, we actually came out with a new way to mount your scope housing to the infinite adjust bracket. No longer do you have to worry about your vertical adjustments uh, intertwining with the second axis adjustments. So as you'll see on the scope housing, uh, there's actually an additional brick you can either mount that to the inside of the riser or to the outside of the riser. We recommend that for most traditional bows, you mount that to the inside of the riser and for any sort of sight that you're gonna mount in line with the bow to use the outside, just flip that around um, and mount it to the outside of the riser. So within each of the product categories, we have the Tetra Max, the Tetra, and then the Tetra LT. As always, our Tetra line of sights come in four different scope housing size options, an inch and three-eighths, an inch and five-eighths, an inch and three-quarters, and then also our four-pin housing, which is an inch and three-quarters. We also offer a 10,000th pin and a thousandths pin for both single-pin and four-pin options. On the Tetra itself, we once again have micro adjustments as well as your macro gain adjustments for left and right. For your vertical adjustments on your tetra bow sight you'll want to use the screw right here on the infinite adjust rail and the screw below that you'll just loosen those and slide it up and down another key feature on the 2022 tetra bow sight is the integrated scope ring that has a built-in level another key feature on the 2022 tetra bow sight is the ability to take a 2500 blue burst light this is an added on accessory but you can actually put that on there to add light to your pin or to reduce light. With that, we also have mechanical rheostat, which is an exclusive feature to HHA on the Tetra line. You'll be able to turn in the rheostat if you want to dim the light, and then you'll also be able to turn it out if you want to let more light in. Also on our 2022 Tetra line, both sides, the Tetra comes in either a fixed frame, our Hunter edition frame, or it comes on a four to eight inch adjustable dovetail. All H.E.J. products are 100% made and sourced in the USA, and they carry 100% lifetime warranty. For any more questions, please visit our website at www.hjsports.com.
1: Hello, we're at the BATA show at uh, Veteran Innovative Products, uh, an all-American made and manufactured broadhead. So we've got a new one for 2020 called the Combat Veteran 4-Blade. As you can see, 4-Blades got a lot of the same high-quality materials we use with our original 2-Blade Veteran, but the Combat Veteran has a different deployment system. How it deploys is you just squeeze a little bit on your main blades, Okay, those compress, and then the broadhead opens still has our momentum management compressible blade technology so the cutting diameter is inch and a quarter by two inches on this when deployed Uh, in flight it's one inch by inch and a quarter another feature we added this year with these heads uh, is that you can exchange the bone breaching field point tip with a 125 grain setup if you would like so Swap the tip out and get you 125 grains instead of 100, which is big with those Western hunters. And then it's really simple to lock back in place, roll those blades up, and then it's a click and another click on the other side. It's completely set in, will not prematurely deploy, will not rattle free, solid containment, 100% deployment every time. So we've made a lot of good adjustments and refinements to it to make sure that it's guaranteed to deploy every single time. So that's what's new for VIP this year.
2: Folks, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Bucks America Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Fans, and my guest tonight is the legendary Brian Austin. He is the man, the myth, the legend when it comes down to the unleash the beast. If you're still hurting, you're not dead, keep going. And, and, and if you could puke, just keep going. You know, that that's his attitude about the whole thing. Now, he just got done doing another successful event called the Quiver Shiver. We're going to talk about that. We're going to be talking about the upcoming events throughout the next few months and also King of the Hill 3D and then, and then helping those who want to get ready for elk season, white tail season, whatever they're, whatever they're getting ready for to get them 10X to the point where they don't have to worry about They train hard. In the offseason, and you win championships. Just that's the golden rule. Unless you're in the NFL, we all know that's rigged. So that's a whole nother ball game there. So, Brian, tell us about your elk season.
3: Well, Jeff, thanks for having me on here. I don't know about the the man, the myth, the legend there, uh, but I appreciate that. You're welcome, sir. Um, yeah, but again, thanks for having me back on here, and you're I welcome. look forward to uh, talking to you and and uh, your listeners and. Give them any insight on our upcoming, upcoming events and stuff, but yeah. So our elk season, uh, the 2022 elk season was, was awesome. Me and Johnny love 2019, uh, were in, uh, Colorado and, uh, it was beautiful country. Uh, and, uh, I guess long story short, uh, this was our, our first hunt we, we were hunting. We we're there together, but we were hunting separately. Uh, so we kind of break off and, and branch off and that way we could cover more ground and, and, uh, uh nice water bottle there, buddy. Uh, good thing. I know a guy. <laughs> uh, so we, we could just cover more ground and and that we just chose to do that. And so this is our first time solo hunting. And I was fortunate enough to uh, to get one on the ground. It, it took us, I think as was the fourth or fifth day hunting. We even changed locations. The first location, we just uh, were not seeing much. Uh, we had a few bugles. We had some, uh, some sign and we were up over 9,500 feet. We're in the, that 9,500 to 10,500 feet, uh, which is usually where the elk are uh, that time of year. Uh, but we weren't seeing much. We ran into a couple old timers. Actually, they're in their uh two separate guys uh, who are hunting on their own. In their, the one was in the '70s. The other one was late '60s. Out there no doing it on their own, and they both uh, had the same story that they weren't uh, seeing much up high. And the one guy said, "You need to drop down low They're underneath. They're like under nine thousand feet, which is." kind of unusual so I don't know if some people think it was the uh the heavy snowfall that they had last uh spring and so that uh I guess made the the cows you know they they calved at a lower elevation last year for the most part and that maybe they just stayed down lower than what they typically do on a on an average year so I don't know if that's the reason or not but so we moved locations. We dropped an elevation, and then I think I ended up shooting my bull at. Uh, it was right around nine thousand feet, which is a lot lower than than typical. Um, now, was for those time. who are
2: listening and that are not familiar with with uh, elk hunting, why do is it cooler at ninety five hundred at in September, or is it warmer? Is it just like that perfect California weather without the problems that it brings with them?
3: Right. It has to do with, with weather, with climate, with the food, like where the food is that time of year. Uh, the, the rut is obviously kicking in and, and is ready to go in high speed. Uh, usually in the summertime, uh, they'll be up high. And again, it kind of depends on where you're at, uh, you know, in the mountains and stuff. But usually they will be up high above tree line in the summer because this cooler uh, you have ice melt or, or snow melt that's still up there, fresh water. They have everything that they need up there. And they're away from predators uh, for the most part too, way up there. So then as uh, we get later into the fall, they start moving down a little bit. And usually they're in that nine, five to ten five in September during the rut uh, uh, time of year. And then obviously as, as the, winter comes on and snow pushes them down into lower elevations during kind of the late late gun seasons
2: that makes sense now have you been noticing the forecast like they've been talking about a lot, of, a lot of places that are hitting those several days like 30 to 40 days below zero so with that type of knowledge now what would that ch- how would that change your strategy coming into this uh 2023 season
3: Yeah, it's going to be interesting, uh, to be honest with you. I don't know if, if the temperatures, I mean, obviously that's cold. And for that long a time, uh, that can probably be an issue, but I think these animals, the temperatures, they can sustain that for a fairly long time. What it comes down to is, do they have food and is there a lot of snow or is there a lot of ice and stuff that they have to, you know, dig through to get to the food, uh, to keep them warm. Uh, so I think that that level of, uh, snow and ice probably plays a bigger role in the mortality than, than the temps do. But now with that said, if, if it's going to really be that cold for that long a time, obviously there's going to be, uh, some, some winter kill off from that. But the, the next, I think this next four to six weeks, really probably eight weeks is going to be, um, the critical time because it's, it's late in the spring or it's late in the winter, early in the spring where things start to melt, you know, that you get that melting and freezing and there's really not a lot of food around. Uh, that's when I think a lot of animals probably die.
2: Okay. And, and also predation cause of the being them weak. So tell me more about like, so what was the approach and what did it, what, did, what were the events leading up to the success with your bull on the ground?
3: uh are you talking about kind of that specific hunt yeah the specific
2: hunt yeah i want the details of it because i don't know if i'm gonna be able to ever get out there to go uh uh, elk hunting because with sleep apnea i'm not quite sure what i'd have to train for what would be the necessary things to be successful on it because sleeping at night is very scary and like with with us and with having sleep apnea similar to like with Joe Rogan. I mean, it's, it's a, a real thing. And it's like, well, now I'd have to pack in an extra battery or unit to be able to support that machine. So this way I'm able to be rested. Cause that is, that is, and especially being with thinner air, that's even a, it's even a, a stronger, that's even a, a bigger draw or drawback to actually executing on a, on a trip like that, you know? Well, uh, Jeff, I think
3: the type of hunt that we did this year, so I've done several different styles of elk hunting, whether it be, you know, a true backcountry hunt, uh, we're away from the vehicle for multiple days or a week or more. I've done spike camps. I've done kind of all that stuff this year. We, we, we decided to be as mobile as possible. So we actually hunt it from the truck every day. We hunt it from base camp every day. Uh, so with that said, somebody like you that has sleep apnea, that needs, uh, you know, those electronic equipment, uh, to help you sleep that you you wouldn't have any issue with that as long as you can plug it into the truck or have a portable battery pack or whatever it might be. So, but I think, uh, that was part of our success was just being mobile as, as we spent that, like I said, we spent a couple of days in in the first area and then we weren't married to that or in the past, like if you did a, a true backcountry hunt, you know, let's say it takes you a full day just to get back to where you plan on hunting or where you plan on doing your, your base camp for that. And then if you get back there and, and you hunt for a day or two and just and see that there's no elk, you don't have any fresh sign, it's, it's kind of, you know, mentally, you know, pounding on you because it's like, man, I've already hiked in a, a, a day. It's going to take me a day to hike out, a day to f- find a new spot. So uh, while there is something really cool about doing a backcountry hunt, I think there's really something to be said about uh, being mobile, staying close to your vehicle so that if, if you're not. Seeing sign, you can back out and go to a different area. Uh, so I think that was probably the first key to the, uh, the success. Uh, probably the second one is, is, um, not trying to, to, uh, to push my luck too quick. Uh, you know, the, the two days leading up to the day that I shot my elk, uh, I was on elk. Um, we had we actually had a lot of weather come in. So every afternoon leading up to that, we had some bad storms that came in. And the evening before this, I was uh, trying to make a move on a, what sounded like a huge, I mean, it was a rut fest, uh, you know, probably 500 feet below, probably not even 500 feet below me. It wasn't that far, but, uh, multiple bulls bugling. You could hear cows, uh, you know, doing their stuff, um, bulls from different. I mean, it was just crazy. Uh, and I was starting to make a move on that and, uh, but there's a storm coming in. You could see it off in the distance and then lightning was starting to, to move in. And, uh, I just decided to back out of there, uh, having heard them the day before as well too. I, so I started putting a pattern together. Uh, fortunately we're in an area that we weren't having a lot of pressure, uh, which I think we were just lucky by finding the spot because. Again, like I said, we were a lot lower than what we typically were. I think a lot of people were hunting higher, probably not seeing much sign, not having much luck, but you know, you hear all these podcasts, you hear these guys talking, it's like, oh, you got to go high. You got to go to the north side of the mountain. Uh, you got to be at this certain elevation. Well, you got to maybe start there, but then you got to have the wherewithal to realize, all right, I'm not seeing much sign. I'm not he- hearing anything. We got to find something different. So, this bull was shot around 9,000 feet on the south side of the mountain, which is the side of the mountain that all your most of your experts are going to say they're not going to be on. Um, but that's where they all were. So, that's where I went.
2: Makes sense. So, then when did you know that it was go time to get pre- prepped and ready to draw back and stuff like that? Were you working with John in unison or? Were you, were you alone at that point in time?
3: <clears throat> no, that morning we, we left base camp. I went down a, a, a logging road uh, to the area that I'd been, uh, uh, hearing and seeing some elk. And I, I felt really confident. I was like, you know, in my gut, I'm like, today's the day. I did think I told you, I was like, today's the day I can feel it. I know it. Uh, so he, uh, we had our e-bikes, he rode down the uh, forest service road a little bit further and went, he was going to go down a different Ridge and as soon as I start walking down this logging road, uh, I could hear elk bugling way off in the distance where I figured that they were going to be going from. So I started walking down and I was going to try to cut them off that morning. Uh, but within a few hundred yards of uh, you know the gate, uh, this bull sounds off to the other side of me down in a uh, ravine. And I was like, all right, this is cool. Let's just see what happens. So I kind of was just take my time. And uh, as the morning progressed, Uh, I, I, well, I get to a spot where I was like, all right, I either have to go after these bulls and and this herd of elk or go after this guy uh, that's closer. Uh, But there's only one, there's not anything really bugling back and forth he's just kind of bugling by himself and i'm like well this is it'd be stupid not to go after this guy so i dropped down uh, a little ways and actually find a a nice bench and i'm just traveling this bench and like i said it rained the night before or even that morning so i found his tracks there's actually two sets of cow tracks with them uh so i just start dogging them this is probably at this point eight o'clock in the morning ish uh So I'm staying probably within a couple hundred, few hundred yards behind him, uh, doing some, some light bugles, some light cow calls. And I'm figuring he's moving, they're moving off to bedding right now. So I didn't want to, there's no chance that I was going to call him back. I think I did at one point, I tried to call him and he just wasn't, he would stay there and bugle. And I'm like, all right, so I'm just going to try to to dog them for a while. And I get to a spot where it must've been a, a, an avalanche or some kind of washout. So there's a big opening, uh, and then uh, the woods, you know, it was probably 200 yards across his opening. And he had already, they had already made it across that by the time I got to, uh, you know, the edge there. And just so be it uh, right on the edge, there's a wallow and a little finger ridge coming down. So I kind of hung out there, did some calls. And he was really caught, at that point, he was, he was probably showing off to the cows that he had and was just going gangbusters. But I could tell he wasn't that far away and I didn't want to move across this opening and risk the chance of being busted. So I did some calls and then all of a sudden this other bull above me just lights, you know, lets off. And I could tell he was bigger. I'm like, ooh, this is a big guy. So I get in position. He, I'm trying to make a really long story short so I don't bore everybody. Uh, But he ends up coming down and getting on this little flat, or, uh, next to the, by the wallow. And he's on this other side of this little pine tree hindsight. I should have moved up to where, you know, this bench meets the hill the incline. I should have moved right up to there and got him coming down. Instead. I stayed back 20 yards thinking he was going to come down and just move right into me, which he was, uh, but there's a pine tree, probably five, six feet tall, just this little scraggly, Charlie Brown pine tree, uh, that was, big enough uh, to be in my way but I could still see him. Uh he was a ni- pretty nice bull. He just would not come around that that pine. Uh so eventually he it's crazy how they can move. They're such big critters. He moved in a way that he did not give me any type of shot opportunity. And he turned right around and went right back up the mountain. As soon as he did that, I actually ran after him, doing some cow calls, uh you know, as if I was a cow coming to him. And uh but he made it up just far enough to where I couldn't see him. I didn't have a shot. He wasn't very far. He was probably less than 50 yards for sure. I could hear, I mean, I could hear him breathing. I mean, it's, it was just crazy. And so I was like, all right, I don't want to, I don't want to force this. I have this bull here. I have this other bull down across the way. I'm just going to give it some time. So some time went by that bull that I just had the encounter with started moving off. So I, I did, I think I did another bugle and this other one that I had the first you know, interaction with, uh, he lights off and he's further away. I'm like, all right, he's further away. I scoot across this opening and find their tracks, uh, because I'm basically on their trail that they're uh they're taking. And I probably move, it's probably another four to five hundred yards. I'm just taking my time because I knew that they were gonna be bedding up. So I'm just kind of taking my time, doing a little cow call calls here and there. I can hear him bugling every so often. I finally get to a spot where I'm coming up out of a Kind of a little ditch. And it's, I can tell it's, it's a little bit of a bench again. It's a little flat area and it gets really steep. So as I'm standing there, I'm doing, I did a couple light cow calls before I approached that bench. Because a lot of people, and what I've done this, you're, you're, you get excited. It's like, oh, what's up there? I want to go up and see what's up there. And you pop your head up and well, now you just busted anything that's out of there. So I stayed down below, did a couple of cow call calls and I'm doing that. I'm looking off to my left and I see the skeleton laying over there. I'm like, oh, that's kind of neat. I mean, you, you see a lot of dead stuff, you know, skeletons and stuff, but it, it was laying in a way where there is a, a tree that had fallen over and it looked like the tree had fallen over and killed whatever this was. I'm I'm assuming it was an elk. And I'm looking at the comments here. Brian is just very lucky. That's from John. Nice John. Um. So as I'm looking at that, I'm like, man, it, you know, I'm about 30 yards away. I'm like, did that tree really fall and kill that, that elk? Like I'm like looking at that. And as I'm looking at that, it was. this is about 11 o'clock now I'm hungry. My stomach is growling and I hear something up on this bench, but it sounds like there's a lot of pine squirrels, you know, there's pine squirrels everywhere. And it kind of sounded like a pine squirrel. I'm like, all right, there's a pine squirrel. And I'm just kind of hanging out. Did a couple more, just real light cow calls, you know, meow. that's not really a good cow call, but, uh, (laughs) that's my impression without my, without my call. Um, and, uh, and again, I'm looking at that skeleton. I was like, there's no way that tree fellow, like, it's just one of those things. Um, so as I'm looking at that, I have my bow, I have an arrow knocked because I just felt like I was, I was actually going to stay there. I was going to do some cow calls and then I was going to hunker down and have a snack. So I had an arrow knocked just in case something happened. And, so as I'm looking at that skeleton, I hear hoof prints on rocks because it's kind of rocky. I'm like, Oh, that's an elk. Like, all right. So the hair on the back of my neck stand, like, Oh, that's an elk. So, uh, so now I'm like frozen because it was, you could tell it was kind of coming towards me. And I, and I look and right 10 yards away is this bull. And if you see him picture, he's not a huge bull. He's a, he's a four by four, but you know, he's a trophy in my, in my book. Uh, he is staring right through me. Like he can't see me because there's a bunch of brush. Okay. He's staring right through me. He's like, and he's looking for this cow that he just heard. And I'm like, oh. and I, so <laughs> I have, I have my release on, uh, I, I'm, I'm ready to draw. And, um, I look up and he's, you know, he's looking through me, but you feel like he's staring at you. And I'm like, oh, don't make eye contact. Don't make." Eye. So I'm close my eyes and I open them. Like, i still looking at me. You can't move. You can't, because he is tuned in. Like he's right there. You can hear him breathing, you know? And uh, so I don't know how much time went by. It was a while. It was, it was probably a couple minutes, you know, which seems like hours. So he starts to take a few steps. I'm like, okay, there's, I know what happened before that. So there's a big pine tree right here and I couldn't, There's an opening, but I couldn't swing this way to get a shot. So as he takes a couple steps, I have to do a 360 to, to get ready. So I'm on the other side of this tree so I can draw back for this opening. So as I do that, he catches a little movement, stops. And at that time, he's like, you know, kind of looking out of the corner of his eye. He's like, all right, something's here. And so then he, he like takes off, like probably 20 seconds goes by and he takes off. Like, he's like, he knows something's up now. He's like, this isn't a cow. This is, you know, the big bad wolf. And so he takes off. I'm like, I have an opening the size of probably a little bit more than a basketball. I draw back, he goes through the opening and I do a, a, a a bark. I'm not even going to try to do the bark because I'm going to, I'm going to blow it right here. Uh, But I did a bark, that bark stopped him and he turned around. He almost did like a 360. Like he was like, because what a bark does, it basically, I I was mimicking a bull, and I was calling him out. So that's what a bark does. It's like, hey, you, get over here. Like, I see it now. Get over here. So he stops, twirls all the way around. In my opening, I draw back. All I remember is all the pins were on his, on his side. On, it was a <laughs> slightly cornerway shot, and I just let it go. And he took off on a dead-out sprint. He actually started circling back towards me. And then he uh kind of make a made a loop. And as soon as he went out of sight, he uh I heard a crash. I didn't see him crash. The funny thing now is during that time I'm shaking like a freaking leaf. You know, you know, I text, I have the in reach, so I text my wife and said uh, I just shot an elk and then I text Johnny because Johnny has uh, an in reach too, but my messages weren't going out. He he wasn't John wasn't getting my messages like John. I just shot an elk. I don't remember what I said, I said cut. I'm going to need help to, to f- cause I'm colorblind. I, I can't, I don't see blood.
2: I don't, I don't see it at all. Really? I didn't know you were colorblind.
3: Yeah. Okay. So a half an hour goes by. So i finally sit down, I eat my snack. I'm still shaking. And I'm like, all right. I, cause I, I've tracked deer before. That's how I, I track when I shoot deer and, and I don't see them go down. I track them. That, that's how I, I find them. Sometimes I can see blood. If it's dry out, I can see that it's wet and then I can kind of see it. So that's, I've just gotten good at tracking animals like that way. So I go to where I shot him and I see his tracks. And I, st- I mean, uh, it's an elk. He's running a dead sprint. So his prints are leaving big divots, but they're 10 yards apart from one another. So you got to, it's not like just tracking a dog or something. You got to like, all right, here's prints. And now, you know, 10 yards down the way, there's another set of prints. I do that. And I go to where I thought I saw him last. And it he went down in this, basically a drainage kind of, and it's tall, not grass, but just tall crap, like weeds and stuff like that. Cause again, remember we're down low, we're down around 9,000 feet. So there's a lot more vegetation down there than what there is up at 10,000 feet. I mean, there's, it's a thick forest floor for the most part where I'm at. Couldn't find them. I'm like, crap, like where, like, I'm, I'm like, I can't lose this thing. I, I heard him go down. So as I, so then I go back to where I shot him from. I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm trying to text John. Says it's sent, but I don't know where he's at. So I go look for the elk again. As I'm looking for, for the bull, I hear some cow calls. I'm like, oh, like maybe the one of the cows that he was with, maybe he's over there. Maybe he's not dead yet, whatever. Hear a couple of cow calls. I think I did a couple of cow calls back. And then out pops John. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> he's like what there's, there's a, there, there's an elk down here standing. I'm like, is it my bull? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, well, John, I just shot a bull. Oh, well, I don't know what it is. I can't see the head. So he could just see the body. It turns out it it was a cow. We had no idea where my bull was. So we did a little, we did a little grid search, finally went back to where I shot it from. I said, John, you, you know, we, we did the whole thing where, all right, I'm standing here. That's where the bull was you know, go, go over there. That's where I saw him last still couldn't, find, he didn't, there wasn't an, an ounce of, of blood anywhere. <sighs> Been there. So finally he starts going in a different direction. I'm like, John, he's gotta be over here. I know he's gotta be over here because this is where the direction that he's going. So I start climbing up on deadfall up in the trees, looking down. And finally I look down and he's sprawled out on this log in this tall stuff. I kid you not. We probably walked by him two times at least within five yards and didn't see him. It wasn't until I got up high and could look down into all that stuff and and,
2: and saw him. So, man, that is exciting though. Just to have that animal being in that presence and I me, mean, just like you said, fifty yards away, and you can hear the animal huffing and puffing because it was as it was going up up the hill from your first encounter, and then the the going through the whole process it kind of reminds me of my uh doe i shot back in october i had uh, I, was, I was hunting over by Stoddard. doe comes out i think it was actually i was sitting in, i was sitting on a on a trail there's there's a tree stand left on public land and I'm sitting up there and i i just twitched enough and all of a sudden i hear something scurry off then like about 20 minutes later, it's like I've had this happen before. They'll circle back around, but at a different approach. And sure enough, it, it read this script. I couldn't ask for a better setup. The doe comes out. She gets to my spot where I marked off at 25 yards. Put my single pin right on her heart. And I, I'm thinking what I and it, what up happening is that when I let when the arrow let off. It drifted down just ahead of the of its, um, front shoulder there and hit that brisket spot right there. And it passed completely through. It was like, yes, I got it. And I was like, I'm just going through. It's like, all right, well, I'm just going to chill and stuff like that because I didn't see it drop. I didn't see it fall down. And it's like, I just kind of sat there and it's like, well, Ryan Woodhouse lives nearby. And so I messaged him. I was like, hey, you want to come over and help me track a dough? And he said, sure. I was like, all right. Well, I'm sitting up there waiting for him to hear. And I hear him pull up and park. In, the, in this, like there's a, a farm, it's a, it's a vacant farm nobody uses it anymore. He parks there, and so it's like, it's going to take him like, I knew it was going to take him at least 45 minutes, and there's two ways to get to where I was at. Well, he decides to go through this little pond, retention pond they have there. Uh, some beavers dammed it up, so it's like it's deeper than it should be. And so he crosses through that route there, and he didn't see any deer coming through, but he just kind of walked through his foot. So I went to where I shot it at. I had really good blood, and it was nice to have him there because what we did is we did a leapfrog pattern. So it's like we put the stick at one point and then we then we find the next blood, then we move the stick again. That's what we did. We did that for three hundred yards, and we get to the body of water, and we're seeing good blood. We thought it's like I, because I, I thought at the time I put a good shot on her. As we're going through the brush, this brushless thing, like we're going up and downhill, zig and zag and stuff like that. She was definitely panicked, and. We track her all the way through and oddly enough, between me and the pond is probably only like maybe seventy, eighty yards, but she just kept on zigzagging and we kept on finding blood, kept on finding blood. It's like every time we come over a ridge, it's like, ah, she's gotta be sitting right here. She's gotta be sitting right here. And then we follow her to the then we follow her back to the water and we found the ball we found blood on the beach or like the, the edge of it, blood in the water, and then it's like, all right, well at least we know she crossed over. So all right, so then it's like I didn't have waders on. He goes through the water. He he found the shallow and stuff to walk through it. I had to go find the beaver dam. Walk back and start where he got off to. And he found if you, if, as soon as he found a trace of blood, we stopped right there, and then we then we began tra- tracking from there. And when we the last spot we tracked it, we tracked it for like eighty yards where how she zigzagged back through it. She we get to the last spot and it opens up to a field. And it's the worst thing you'd want to have doing because if that if that wound heals or uh, seals up, there's no more blood, and that's what happened. She gets that edge. We brought out reinforcements. We were out there for another couple more hours between the three of us looking for it Couldn't find it. So then like I got to come back in the morning. So it's like all right. So I. Wife, Alicia, she hopped in the car with the truck with me. We went and we, we, we went to where I last saw it. We went, her and I scoured all up and down for a good solid hour. It's like, I said, like, fuck it. I'm going to go up this hill that's at least a 15 uh, degree up, up, or a great uphill. Cause it's like why would she want to run uphill well, like everybody thought like ryan darren and myself we all thought she went back into the woods and so it's like well let's come back where there's more light and stuff like that and, and nothing there i walked that line first but as we as i grew disgruntled it's like i said it like fine she already went back to the truck she's done so i went turn around and I, I i just had to go up this spot and then there's this lonely spot spot of blood and that's where it was and that's well that's where the blood was that's was the last track and then i tracked her all the way to the road all the way to the next side, and she is like, she's gone. There's no way I can find her. But I was talking to uh, Matt uh, from VIP, and he says, "I bet in your shoes, I've done that shot. She's most likely going to survive." So I was like, "Well, that is what it, it is. What it is."
3: Yeah, those muscles—they they bleed a lot, but there's no nothing that's going to stop them. You know, no organs or anything there. So
2: exactly, that's my thought. It was exactly what that with the whole process itself, and went from there. Now. This is where I want. This is where we can both uh, uh, work with uh, work off of each other's stories. So Jeremy from Badger State Adventures, he's in the chat right now. He invited me up to go hunt with him back in October. Hunting up there had two, I had uh, three, four opportunities, but I had a doe. A nice mature doe. It's like, oh, she's good, but she had a fawn and toe. Because before I even sat down, I once like before I even start to like really begin the hunt, I sat down and I prayed to God, like, please provide me an opportunity for my feed my family, and, she, and he did, and he did, it and he answered my prayer every single time, which was amazing. But every time somebody showed up, it was a test of ethics on if I want to shoot a spike buck, a forky, or a doe with a fawn and toe. Now, the reason why I didn't shoot the spike buck is like it was too coincidental to have a a, a female doe, a, a mature doe. A fawn and a buck. Cause, like, I've been around where does will have twins. And we all, and it's like, if she produces twins, I, I don't want to take her off the land because it's like, that's a, a guaranteed two deer a year. And I, the reason why I had experience at another property in Minnesota where I hunted it for four years, and every year in trail camp, she always had twins. And it's like, I'm so glad I never took her. I had opportunities to shoot her, but I never wanted to just because of that opportunity. And then second night, I had a spike buck show up, prayed to the good Lord, he provided, gave me a beautiful broadside shot. And I chose not to take it. I just, it's like, it's need to grow this herd to allow him to to have some, some lineage with the whole property. Luckily, uh, Becky, she shot a beautiful seven point or eight point buck um, in November, a few weeks later. But what gets interesting after that is that right after I left, I set up a, tra- a trail cam because it's like, it's to say thank you to Jeremy, I gave him one of my, my cellular cams. So it's like anything that showed up, I sent him pictures. And so, and just kind of give him, because it's this corner is it back far off there, really difficult to get to. The prevailing winds are north, northeast. So getting there, you're gonna put your scent all through back in there. The only reason why I got back in there is because the wind was dead and it was blowing the direction I needed to go. So that's why I was able to get back up there. Well, I think it was like Wednesday or Thursday after I left, here comes a mama and two bears bear cubs now jeremy had mentioned that there was bear out there and he had he gave permission to one guy to go out there and bait for one and go from there they never he never was successful well i being in wisconsin you always got to carry a firearm because you never know when you come across a cat a bear a wolf or a coyote because you never know what could happen so i i always care yeah after i found out about that i just carry the rest of the day well a few weeks later i see your post dude tell me what was going through your mind when you saw a full-grown sow with five Cubs in tow. Yeah, uh, what did you call her
3: before? A supercell.
2: Supercell super sal
3: to be honest with you so we did have her trail camera on a cell camera leading up to that and this is a new area that we had not really i guess ever hunted that area it's just the area that john and i had scouted out a little bit and it was on the way up to our cabins and it's was a spot that we could stop on the way up on a friday afternoon and not you know blow up an evening hunt so we had her on camera but we could never tell how many cubs yet we i knew she had three at least three just because of you know they're always moving around and Not all in one picture. So, so that hunt, that was the first time hunting there. And I'd say within, we got in there pretty late, maybe half an hour after, after setting up, I just heard what sounded like a train coming through the woods. And I could, it was probably 100 yards away up on this little ridge. Right away, I knew it was, you know, I could see, you know, black things coming through the woods. And like, oh, here comes the bear. I was uh, amazed, just like everybody watching that probably was. I'm like, there's mom. And I was like, there's a cub, there's a cub, there's a cub. I'm like, how many cubs is that? Like, I, I actually had to go back and watch the videos. Like, how many cubs did she actually have? And yeah, five five cubs. Just, they just made their way right on through and, and kept on going. I was a little anxious uh, taking my stand and everything down because that was, you know, probably 20 minutes, maybe a half an hour before uh, legal light. I'm like, man, how far did they get from, from where I am right now? So I was, you know, had my, had my head on a on a swivel getting ready to get out of there that evening so uh, never saw them on the camera after that the camera's still up and uh they've not they have not been back well obviously probably because that was what was that middle of october
2: yeah i think it was yeah because i was hunting in the beginning of october and i think that was either week two or week three
3: they probably went in the i would think they were in hibernation shortly after that so that's probably why we haven't seen them since then but
2: it's tough to well it would make sense like i well for me if i was mama i'll probably if i smelled a human i probably wouldn't come back to that way again and because it's like my muddy camera still going up there i haven't seen mama and her two sows since october like come to that area and but she was heading beeline getting out of there but jeremy has a really good opportunity like it's got really good cover really good food and when you when you see a sow like that produce that many cubs and actually keep that many cubs because we all know boars get a little territorial they'll probably they would probably kill all five of them off just to put her in Astros again and the fact that she's able to do all that's it's like there's lets you know there's great cover good food source and water
3: well there's definitely a lot of elk in that area so that is in the black river state forest and where most people are seeing the elk have been newly released uh, in that area as a crow flies are less than a mile mile from there so i'm like those uh those elk calves in the uh springtime they're gonna
2: it's gonna be it's gonna be a dance for sure
3: So I I see Johnny wants us to get on to uh, the point of the the podcast here.
2: (laughs) Well, you got to remember, John, I haven't talked to, I've talked to Brian since uh, the King of Hill 3D, but it's like, we haven't actually had a chance to talk, talk. And that's what I do with this podcast.
3: You know, Jeff, you do need to get John on at some point and he can share his elk hunting story with you. After I shot my... He, he can share his I'm, i don't want to spoil that story with you or he's got a good story about pack out too he'd be a good one to share that with
2: all right then i will definitely have john because john's already been in the podcast once and he was the one that i actually changed the way i edit my podcast or uh Audio, adjust the audio because my thoughts were is that i want to make sure that when people are playing their the podcast over a diesel engine they can hear the podcast and that's what i've really honed in on since his podcast and and even with my loud track i can still hear me through because i got i actually bought a chevy here right it right before Thanksgiving so yeah it's it's loud but it's it I, it I can hear my podcast and that's what that's what I want because it's not a diesel it's just got a really somebody put an aftermarket muffler on it and just makes it sound like a, a a roaring lion it's like when I sh- when you see me this this uh upcoming season you're gonna hear me pull in because it's that loud plus it's bright red it's like why not be why not be the center of attention like I was when I was a kid there you go <laughs>
3: <laughs> so breeze, getting to well,
2: the next you know, step of our podcast, around, the Quiver Shiver. Picture, so, so what uh, what inspired you to, to do a a middle of the winter, cold as fuck event? I have to
3: I give uh, Nathan uh, McGee, the owner of Tyrell, some credit for this because he's been wanting me to do a winter event for a while. And I was like, nobody's going to do it. And almost nobody did it. We had 13 competitors do it, which there's a lot of people that wanted to do it. I had no idea that at the end of January or the winter time – for that matter, uh, so many kids sporting events are going on and you got gymnastics, you got basketball, you have, uh, swimming. There's a lot of, a lot of parents that wanted to do it, but they're just that we're busy. So anyways, I gotta tell you this. It was a great, great time. Uh, I prefer cold over, over the heat. So for me, it was great. There's no, no well, Tyrol doesn't usually have mosquitoes anyways, but <laughs> there is no humidity. And to be honest with you that day, uh, which was Well, this past Saturday.
2: Yes, past Saturday. Exactly.
3: It was perfect weather. The temps weren't so cold. You could stand out there and not be, you know, you didn't really get too cold. It wasn't windy and it started snowing, you know, about an hour into the event. And by the end of the event, it was snowing pretty good. So that just made the whole ambiance of the snow and everything going on there was just really, really cool. I didn't know exactly how the event was going to lay out until really the week of just because not knowing what exactly the weather is going to be, if we're going to be fighting, you know, 30 below wind chills, or if we're going to be fighting ice uh, instead of snow, you know, that would have made things look a lot different. Sometimes you get that freezing and thawing, you get that hard, crunchy snow, and it's super slippery. And, you know, the last thing I want to do is put somebody at risk of of getting injured. So it was a great event. Uh, 13 folks uh, came out, including one female, Angie.
2: Angie's a beast though. I've shot she with is. her.
3: She is. And, and you know what? She had the heaviest pack of them all.
2: Really? What was she rocking?
3: She, I think her pack was over forty pounds, and she was technically only supposed to have a twenty-five pound pack.
2: Yeah, I was reading that too. It's like that's a that's like literally almost double the amount she required.
3: Yeah, she she just she got after it. Her husband Travis uh, put the weight in it the night before, and she, he said it was good to go. So uh, we're, we're going to blame him.
2: you know, she, she rucked through it all. The
3: the actual competition was really cool. So we had three stages. We had the beast course. It was probably about 2.1, 2.2 miles, uh, with some targets that they had to shoot on the course. Uh, the second stage was what we call the pursuit stage. So it was super quick, a sled pull farmer, carry, make a shot. They did that three times. And then we had a five target 3d course. And at the end of each stage, there is a different person leading. So the person that ended up winning the event uh Cody Slater he didn't lead after any of the first two events but he shot lights out in that last stage and it was enough to put him uh, ahead. Uh, Jeff Moyer took second. He's done a lot of a lot of events. He's
2: Yes, he has. I've shot with Jeff too. I've shot next to him. Yeah, his yeah, wife as well too, mean. so
3: yeah. Uh and then uh Big Tim, uh Tim absolutely destroyed everybody in the beast course. He finished 8 or 9 minutes in front of Jeff and Jeff was second place, I mean Tim is just an animal. I mean he and I only to be honest with you, I don't think he was really trying. He wasn't really sweating. he was just kind of going through the motions. but as and he would tell you he he cannot shoot worth worth a darn. Uh, so he had enough uh, time penalties uh to put him I don't know where he was. I don't know if he, he was second or third after the first stage and then he ended up finishing fourth overall. So it goes to show again coming up to you know when we start talking about these other events it's first and foremost it is a archery event. If you, if you cannot shoot well you're not going to do well even if you are the most fit fastest person there is you got to be able to shoot at least halfway decent. Are you reading comments? What's going oh, on?
2: Oh no no I was just going going through the uh, the uh Go, I was reading through the everything that's going. That was going that everything was part of it then. And then who did who all um, provided like because you had thirteen people show up then, correct? You know, it's a difficult thing to put that in pers- to try to put on an event because it's also the last weekend of the season for Whitetail too as well. But you are right though. It's like there's there's so much going on when it comes down to gymnastics, basketball, wrestling. That's just the nature of the beast. And I'm just lucky that that people were able to attend. And sure, like like you started with the King of Hill 3D back in 2019. It's still slowly grow and grow and grow. I mean, I mean, last year we hit 300, and so this year, fingers crossed, if we hit 301, hey, it's a step in the right direction, right?
3: That, exactly. I mean, the king of the hill, and we can fast forward to that event. Uh, well, I was thinking about, about
2: moving on to the next event, which is the endurance, reg- the, the endurance race. Which registration is open for those who are curious about it? And just go to the website. I'm actually going to go ahead and drop this link in the chat, and uh, you guys can go ahead and sign up. But tell me about the endurance race, because this has been a something that you want to do for a while.
3: It is. So this event uh, was going to be our, our first event back in 29, 2020, whenever the pandemic hit. So we had to cancel that event, and this will be the first time bringing this event back. How I came about thinking of an event like this was First of all, I used to race mountain bikes 20 years ago. I would do 12 and 24 hour events. And then fast forward to now being a, an elk hunter, being a Western hunter and being in you know the fitness industry. I'm like, there's got to be a way there. There's... I just think that this event is going to mirror what people kind of run into when they go elk hunting or sheep hunting or whatever it might be. You are active all day long. So this event is geared... It's going to be a lap system. So you basically, your objective is to complete as many laps as you can in the eight hours. We're starting out with eight hours this year. Next year, we might increase that. And eventually rather be next year, maybe the year after I want to do a nighttime one where we're running into the night headlamps, you know, the whole, uh, you know, the whole shebang there as many laps as possible. You can compete as a solo person or as a team. If you're on a team, you can be on a team of three or a team of four. It doesn't matter. It's a team category. If you're solo, you have to carry, I think, a 30-pound pack for men, 25-pound pack for, for women. For a team, it's 100 pounds divided however you want to divide it amongst your team. Unless if you have a female on the team, then you can take five pounds for every woman that's on your team off of that 100 pounds. So a three-person team... How whatever the hundred was at thirty three and some uh, change per person is what they're going to be carrying. If you have a four person team, you can choose for all four of you to be on the course at the same time. If you're on a team, you're you're completing it as a team. It's not like a relay. You're out there with your hunting buddies, okay, and you're doing it together. You're there to motivate each other and encourage each other and, and keep you moving for that eight hours. So a four person team, you have the choice then for all four of you to be out on the course. That way you can you have four people to divide that 100 pounds amongst. Or you can run three people on the course and you can have a substitute. Uh but that 100 pounds still has to be out on the course. If the you know the substitute that's back at base camp doesn't count for anything. So it's really there's going to be a lot of strategy even for the solo guys and gals. There's going to be a lot of strategy in this event because what do you do? Do you go out and do you do the laps hard and then take a break in between laps, or do you start slow and just you know get into the groove and, and stay and keep moving for that total eight, for that whole eight hours? It's going to be interesting to see how people uh, uh, play into this. It's we have a we have I think we have about 15 people signed up so far, and I want to say half of those are people I don't think I even know that have not done an event. So I think this event is attracting some other types of quote unquote hunter athletes uh, into, you know, this type of event, because it's more of an endurance event. Whereas there are other events like the BMAC games is more of a, you know, an all around, I want to, I call it more of an all around competition. But so with the endurance event, we're going to hopefully have two targets per lap. It uh, depends on how many volunteers. So if anybody's listening here that thinks this is cool but doesn't want to compete, I am looking for volunteers. Uh, two targets per lap, and it's going to be set up so that if you shoot a heart or a lung, uh, you get to go on. You don't have any penalty. You don't get any bonus, but you get to, you get to keep moving. If you shoot a body or a miss, there's going to be a physical challenge that you're going to have to complete at that time before you can go on uh, and continue on the course. So rather that be a sled pull, maybe depending on where the target is, maybe it's a hill climb. You got to go up this hill and come back down. Maybe it's a lap. Who knows what it's going to be? It's, time will tell. Uh, but there's going to be a physical challenge for uh, shooting a body or a miss. The other thing that's going to be really cool about this uh, event, which I want people to, to really understand, is that not if you do it as a team, not everybody on the team has to be an archer. So if you have a friend or if you have a family member that's been wanting to do these events with you, but they don't shoot a bow and arrow, this is their chance because only one person per team has to be able to shoot. So if, if somebody again has a, a friend or a family member that, that thinks this is cool, it maybe really good at endurance events or whatever it might be, this is their chance that they can come out and participate with you.
2: That's a great way to do that then. Now, are you so there's archery competition besides this? Now, how many targets are you going to be setting up? Are you gonna keep that on? You going to keep that low key until the day of the event
3: uh, on the course. So we're gonna have at least two targets. That's so there's not gonna be like in the BMAC games. There's a whole stage devoted to the 3D portion. This is just gonna be endurance and making those shots on those laps. So there's not gonna be an actual 3D shoot part of it. Uh, so it's just eight hours of moving and making those two critical shots on the course somewhere out on the course.
2: That makes sense. Plus is the best part is now, are you going you gonna to let people know where they are? are you're just going to have like, you got to go find them.
3: Well, they will be marked on the course. So, oh,
2: I'd, I'd, I'd be, I'd be a little more, uh, a little more devious is like, go find them. Good luck. Cause that's, that really will add to element of hunting because you don't know if you're going to see it quarter of the way in halfway through or, or like. Someplace in between the the or three quarters away, but adding that element of surprise where you're not going to be able to prepare for it, and it's like, and plus it's like you're going to have to be diligent about looking around in your surroundings as well.
3: Yeah, it, that would be cool, but uh, and and super realistic for sure. But the whole part of, of scoring arrows and, and all that stuff, you know, there'll probably be at least four to five volunteers at each target to make sure, you know, once they shoot, we have people scoring that arrow and, and saying, okay, you know, you're good to go, or, hey, you got you got to do this challenge before you get to move on, so
2: ah okay so you're gonna so you're, you you need you're gonna have uh the volunteers do every all that work for you just so this way then it keeps everything above board yep exactly makes yep. sense you know it, it granted you you feel like the, the your audience the, the your yeah your audience is you bring you track to these events you're gonna be honest but it's just like golf you know you never know what's gonna happen
3: right i mean it yeah exactly it is a competition so uh we want to keep everything as legit as possible and and uh you know we'll be weighing packs after and before every lap uh, so as they complete, we'll absolutely weigh the packs beforehand, uh, before we start. And then as they complete the lap, we're going to weigh every pack, uh, in between each lap.
2: Now, how, how long is a lap then? Is that going to be a mile, two miles?
3: It's probably gonna be around two, uh, to two and a half miles. I don't want it to be super long, uh, like the beast course during the, uh, BMAC games. Uh, I wanted to be in that so that most people can finish a lap in around an hour or less. So that again, they can get as many laps and, and there's going to be some strategy into how they, they get those laps done. So it's not going to be super long. It is going to, I have no idea what the lap's going to be because it's the last, again, is April 28th or 29th, the last Saturday of April. What's going to dictate that is how much snow is left on the ski hill.
2: Oh, that's right. We will
3: probably for sure be going through some snow. Uh, but we will for sure want to avoid some of the really muddy areas at Tyrol, just to make sure we don't rut things up and stuff like that. So even the start finish, I don't even know where the start finish is going to be at all that kind of depends on the weather and how much snow melt there is and all that stuff by, by that time. makes so. sense.
2: That is a fair thing to do. So Jeremy says he wants you to reach out to him cause he wants to volunteer. And then, uh, Ed has a question. Is your bow part of the pack weight for the endurance race?
3: Great question, Ed. No, it is not. It, your pack weight is your pack weight uh for Ed 30 pounds, not including bow and probably maybe include I always give like a two-pound variant there. If people have a lot of water or carrying a lot of water, you know, water can kind of be incorporated with that. Hopefully, hopefully it being the last weekend of April, it's not 90 degrees with hundred percent humidity, uh, like all my other events are in the summertime. So Hopefully people, you know, it's not going to be a uh, an issue of being dehydrated from uh, environmental factors. So, but yes, uh, your bow weight will not be included, partly because if you're on a team, only one per technically only one person has to carry a bow in every lap. Although if you're on a team, you might just, all of you, if all of you can shoot, you all might want to carry the bow and take turns shooting the, the two targets. But again, only one person shoots because you're not going to know what distance they're going to be. You know, one target might be 30 yards, the other one might be 40 yards. So maybe if you got somebody on the team that's better at a far further shot, maybe they shoot. The other thing I'm thinking about even tossing around is as we get later into the event, maybe every two hours, the shooting stake for those targets gets moved back some.
2: Oh, I like that. My next question to you: Are you going to do Western rules for, like, for example, like some some states out west don't allow you to have magnifiers? And are you going to make that a stipulation for people that you can't shoot that uh, re- that need need a magnifier to? Get them extra accuracy or not?
3: I always say, and I, I don't know. That's a it's a great point, Jeff. I usually have it on on the uh, details of the of. I don't know if I have it on that one. Usually, I have no magnification. If you need a clarifier in the peep, I understand that. I get that, but no magnification, no electronic sights with rangefinders, no binoculars with a rangefinder. Because sometimes there's targets that are specifically no rangefinder that you have to be able to judge the distance of that target. So I can't have anybody with range finding sights and binoculars and all that kind of stuff. So,
2: so to to clarify, in this race, you do not have it listed as a a, a a a piece of equipment that cannot that is that is cannot be used. So you might want to go back to your website, update that. So this way, I'll make
3: a note of that because uh, thank you for that.
2: Yeah, cause it's like I don't understand why I do it. Cause you know, I is a clarifying lens. And get this, dude. I go to the de- I go with the opto optom uh ophthalmologist here in Lacrosse, and I go. It's like, hey, I'm having struggles with my my left eye. It's like I feel like I'm not getting the distance worth it. And it's like I'm. It feels like when I have my both eyes open looking at the target, it feels like it's further away than it should be. Well, go through everything. Flash the eyeballs. Twenty twenty vision. It's just that I'm just getting old. It's just my eye is just getting old. So now I when I'm at the what I'm what I'm at full draw, I just. Have I have to close my left eye and just go through my shot process. And my accuracy, obviously, has gotten better because of that. Because I've spent so many years having both my eyes open because this way – because you never know it could come off from your left. When you're at full draw on one item, it's like all of a sudden, oh, there's something bigger coming. I hear it. So, is, so now it's like I have to close my one eye. But I've, I've noticed, like with Al Potter, he uses, and even Jeremy, he even uses a blinder too. So this way, you could still keep both eyes open and go through. But I, I when I uh, um, use my pistol or go with a rifle, I always close my left eye. So it's like it just, it's just natural for me to do it because I'm so used to using it with the different tools.
3: I've always shot with my left eye closed anyway, so it doesn't. I have a. Uh a bad stigmatism. So it is what it is. I guess I've never tried a clarifier, but people say that that helps, but
2: Oh, without a magnifier, I think it's a clarifier. I don't know all these technical terms. So the clarifier is what you use for, um, because there's two forms of uh, uses. You have a clarifier that will allow you to, it makes the the, the, the magnifier easier to use. And then if you have wear um, glasses, you don't have to have a clarifier. My wife, Alicia, she wears glasses, so I do not have to get her a clarifier for it. But there is a, another type of peep, and I can't remember what it's called. Nice thing is, like, I have a list of websites I already pulled up because it's like I'm always looking to see when things go on sale, when I want to, when I need to upgrade a piece of equipment or something like that, or if I want to get something new. I'm really thinking about getting one of those new, uh, one of those, uh, Mali Molly quivers that they have that you can use on your belt because it's like, I like the way it sets and it, and it fits and such. Well,
3: I think, I think this is a Jeremy Badger State Avenger.
2: Yeah, that's Jeremy. Yep. Uh, he
3: said a verifier.
2: Verifier. There we go. So maybe Jeremy can answer that question for us. Jeremy, how does that work between the, between the two? See, I, I, in my, my opinion, that's just more crap to go wrong. Yeah, that is that is a very that is a very valid point. If it's
3: foggy out, if it's raining out, if it's uh...
2: yeah, I've seen I've seen uh, verifiers and clarifiers go back go go opposite. I shot um, two years ago at Washara, and one of the guys there had a a rig well all stuff and kept on getting water in it, and, and it just it just made life very very difficult for him. Let's see here. Helps for target one helps the pin. Oh, okay. So that much, there not much, much, really much of a difference between the two then, from what I'm gathering here. So now I want to move on to May. You have mini games the be back mini games so explain that
3: yeah so it's been an event that we've done the last couple years it's uh uh kind of a i guess a glorified training day you could think of it the first year we did it we did it as kind of a a mini competition last year uh we did do a mini competition but i think i hiked the piss out of people on on the hill at Tyrol and made them do a, a bunch of burpees and pull sleds and but they had a good time so it's a chance to a lot of folks brought their spouse out and did it and participated with it. Really, the main reason that I started doing that is to get people that are kind of on the fence about doing the BMAT games, or uh, maybe felt intimidated about that type of an environment is to come out in a, in a more of a laid back environment and to kind of go through and experience some of the stuff that we do at the Beamac Games. So last year we usually have around thirty to forty people that do it, and uh, it, we usually entail some some three D shooting, you know, a workout, and then uh, we did this past year pig roast from pigs that uh, John and I shot in Texas. So and we plan to do that again this year as well too. So
2: you and John head back down to Texas then?
3: Yeah, we we're heading down in a week and a half.
2: Oh, exciting! That's gonna be pretty fun. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys because I know John posts a lot of good fitted footage. I don't know if it, what the regulations are, but do you know how cool it would be if John has in one tree and you're in the other one, and he has his drone out filming everything. Just watch it; just air just zoom right in there with uh, with luminox on there, just to get that tracer effect to it. Dude, that'd be sick. I
3: don't. I don't know if Texas has many uh, regulations. To be honest with you, I I, I doubt that there is any.
2: <laughs> I think if you, you got enough money to play, you can do whatever you want. Right. Right. Now, are you going to be doing your your Friday night 3D scrambles again? Because I didn't make it out to one last year just because of how expensive gas prices were. Right. Are you going to do it again this year? Because, man, that, that was a fun That was a fun night.
3: Yeah. Uh, so the scrambles, I yeah, again, I plan to do those probably starting in, maybe in April. Although with the uh, endurance event, that might change a little bit because I think this past year, our first one was the last... Friday and Saturday morning of, of April. I will probably do, we may not do as many this year. Last year, I think we ended up doing five or six and, uh, they are, I mean, it's just, uh, I don't want to, you know, sound, you know, like it's a lot of work, but it it takes a lot of time. You know, it takes a, an afternoon of setting up and and tear down. And, uh, so, but yes, we are going to do them. Uh, I might do them uh, more infrequently uh, and maybe try to do larger ones, Uh, but I'd like to try to get one, at least one a month starting in April and going through uh, August probably. So,
2: That's great too, because you'll be running into the into, into summer. Kids will be coming out of school and stuff What that. Less less for the ones that are playing for uh, ba- uh baseball and such, but you can in softball for the ladies if they decide to join that. But there's still a lot of opportunity to do it throughout the entire summer. So now you're gonna do it Fridays, or you gonna do it Saturday mornings as well.
3: Uh so a couple of them I did do Saturday morning, uh just because everything was already set up and and uh so a couple of times we did do them Saturday morning. So uh we like to do them Friday night because Tyro is open on Friday nights, uh, whereas they're not open on the weekends. Uh, so it's nice to do it on a Friday night. People can come out, have some of their good food and then, um, and then shoot the scramble. So,
2: oh, I know last year we missed the, or no, two years ago, you, we, you, well, you, John and I, we didn't get off the, off the range until after nine o'clock. We missed out on, on the brisket, but this year or last year for the, uh, King of the Hill, I may, I managed to make sure to get some of that, uh, brisket, man, it, 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 it hits home. It's pretty fire.
3: They do a good job of that.
2: So June, June is a big one. You got June 24th, uh, 25th, two day event for the BMAC games.
3: The BMAC games. Yeah. This is our fourth year of doing it. I mean, the BMAC games is kind of the the event or is becoming, is known as, you know, the event for the hunter athletes. So uh, it's a four stage event. We're going to probably, it's going to be very, very similar to last year. We're going to change a few things up, uh, but we're going to have the beast course, which is going to be a grueling, probably three plus, maybe four-ish mile course. You know, it's probably going to be I'm leaning towards it's either going to be longer or harder than last year because we are changing up uh, the divisions this year. There's no more age groups. I have, you know, it's these are these events are for hunters uh, and the mountains don't care how old you are. The mountains don't care if you're a man or a woman. Uh, So why should this event? Right. So we are going to have male and female uh, divisions but there's going to be no age groups we're going to have the elite beast division and we're going to have the beast division and those two divisions are going to be identical except for the packout stage and where that's going to differ is the beast group is going to have an 80 pound packout the elite beasts are going to have a 100 pound packout for men females for women it's going to be i think 60 and, or 55 and 60 it's on the website i can't remember the the but that's the only difference so your pack weight for the beast course is the same for for both both divisions. Uh, and the, and obviously the pack weight for the pursuit stage is going to be the same. <clears throat> so with that said though, the beast course, I am looking at trying to figure out a way to make it harder. And people are going to be like, how, how are you going to make that? It's already hard. Um, <laughs> uh, because you're not going to have as heavy of a pack now, uh, in the previous years, the, the, the pet, the, your base pack weight, was heavier than what it's going to be this coming year, uh, but potentially your packout weight's going to be heavier. So we're kind of giving and taking a little bit there. So since that weight's going to be a little bit lighter, I'm going to make I'm going to look at making a few changes and adding in maybe some more technical trails or another climb or something like that to make that beast course a little bit more uh, realistic. Let's just call it. Um, and then the pursuit stage—that's uh, the stage where we do the hoist. Uh, do the sled pull. Uh, You know, this past year we couldn't do the balance uh, beam because it was raining and those things were like ice when you stepped on them. So, We had to uh, X that off. That stage is going to be different because, uh, you know, the the last two years, people went through that stage much faster than what I thought. I am looking at making that different, but then also uh, having a way so we can run more people in a heat. Because that that stage, we have to break up the whole group into heats. Uh, And this past year, we had heats of eight because that's how many hoists we had. But this year, we're going to look at maybe tweaking a few things so we can get some more hoist in there, being able to get through that quicker so that there's not as much downtime during the middle of the day. Uh, but with that said, I think that stage is going to be a little bit longer. And that sled drag, I guarantee you, is going to be longer than what it was last year.
2: How long was it last year?
3: Uh, the sled drag was pretty short. It was maybe, I don't know, 50 yards up a hill, turn and you had to come down. But it's, it's a fairly heavy sled. It's around 100 pound sled or so.
2: What's the, the pursuit about?
3: So the pursuit stage is kind of, I, I came up with that name. In terms of you know, let's say an elk hunter, and I've had some stories from guys this past year that did the games, and then they went on an elk hunt, and they're like, "My elk hunt, that last ten minutes of my elk hunt was like that pursuit stage." So basically, it's fast pace. It's you're you're hustling. So let's say you have that last twenty minutes of light, the bulls bugling, you got to hustle up the mountain, or you got to hustle down in this drainage. You got to get on them, get moving. So you're constantly moving, you're doing something and you're shooting with an elevated heart rate. So that's the stage where we have, you're doing stuff and then we incorporate the shooting in that stage with an elevated heart rate to kind of simulate that possible scenario that you might encounter out West or even in a tree stand with a little buck fever that you might have. And then after that, the... Uh, the packout stage is Saturday later on Saturday and that was pretty grueling this year we, we I I made the 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 packout stage twice as long as what it was previous year and it was a tough one I mean but it was such a cool experience to see everybody finish we we, we finished going up uh, underneath a left so we started at at the bottom we zigzag we go up and down and then we they eventually finished going up that last climb and it's just really cool. To see everybody give it their all on that last climb, it's probably – I don't know, 200 yards of going straight up, and uh, to see the camaraderie of everybody that has finished—they come down and line up that that last 200 yards and cheer people on—and that out the end of the packout stage is just a really cool experience to be a part of, even even if you're not competing, just to be there and to really experience what you know these like-minded folks—you know how they cheer each other on. I mean, yeah, they're competitors, they're competing against each other, but yet at the end of the day. A lot of them are hunting buddies that they're competing against each other. So it's just, you got that type of uh, personality and, and atmosphere of, of people just wanting you to succeed and, and stuff like that. So that's how we end the day on Saturday. And then Sunday morning is the, what we call the harvest stage. It's the 3d course, uh, 20 target 3d course and At each target, there is a different scenario, rather it be shooting from your knees, drawing, standing, kneel and shoot. Uh, There's some time shots where maybe it's a 30 second hold. Maybe you have to draw and shoot within five seconds, a follow-up shot where you make a shot and you have to hustle to the next cone and, and get your shot off within so much time. So each target has its unique scenario, and my favorite, the no rangefinder shots, which I always have at least a few of those. Coming from a guy who's been shooting archery for a while, long before uh, the, uh, the invention of of uh, rangefinders, when you actually had to judge that distance. And there's so many times I think people get so they rely on that rangefinder for everything. And It's like you just never know when you're going to be in that scenario where you're not going to have time to range it. So you gotta you gotta at least be able to judge that 20 yards, 20 to 40 yards. Once you get out past 40 yards, it gets pretty tough. You got to really practice a lot and spend time, you know, training your eye on how to judge that distance. But I think anybody, most people should be able to judge out to 40 yards, at least make a a killing shot on an animal. It may not be a center punch in in the heart or in the 12 ring, but they should be able to make a a killing shot on a, on an animal.
2: Jeremy asked that, place to stay sounds like it is a multi-day event probably won't be any camping again right i don't think
3: uh we're still working on that with nathan and and some of the stuff that we had to have to work around for that there is campgrounds nearby you got blue Mountain state park which is 10 12 minutes from there i think there's brigham county park uh, which is close by. So there's several. If you just go on Google Maps, there's several campgrounds close by. There is. My cousin Bob uh, was looking at uh, getting a hotel for that event, and also the King of the Hill. And several hotels are already booked up those two weekends.
2: It doesn't take long. Yeah, I... yeah. Th- there's a,
3: there's a big wedding and something else going on. So if you are looking at at staying the night. Uh, and you're coming to the, either of those events? Uh, start looking now because th- it is starting to book up in Mount Horb and Verona. Depending on what direction you're coming from, uh, Verona's a good spot. Obviously, Mount Horb is a good spot. Dodgeville, uh, Barneville, I don't know what. To the north, I don't know if Cross Plains or Black Earth. I don't think any of them have a hotel. I could be wrong, but
2: I got you. There's always there's obviously Airbnbs and such. Now for Friday, you're just doing an early check, and you're not going to be doing like a 3D scramble or anything like that. Just for those who that can't compete over the weekend, but still want to be out there shoot
3: yeah you know that's a great question we did we did do a, a scramble two years ago on that Friday night uh this past year we didn't i th- i can't remember what happened we just didn't have time to make that happen uh but yes that that is a possibility that we might uh do a scramble Friday night before the BMAC games
2: okay yeah I just see a thing on the on your list of events to be able to do now this weekend I will not be able to attend because I'll be in Beaver Utah at the Mount Archery fest it was just uh, it's my first first time going there I got talked into a couple by a couple of friends and we were all trying to figure out because I want to be able to come east and at least go to the H or the HA USA At plus I am doing a cookout the night before so that's an invite only Type scenario for that, so those so those are in the chat group there. The ones that I've I've invited know that can be able to come. It just I know with you being busy, I haven't well I haven't actually pitched it to you yet. So, anyways, but yeah, I'm gonna be out there for four or five days for going out there. But it's just like we had there's each. Each of, the three of us that are going. I even also invited Jeremy too, but it's like that's a big commitment, so I don't know if that's something he's going to be able to to go to. I've been I've and it's still January. We've been I, we started playing this back in December as soon as those days came out available. But uh, that's something that that uh, my friend Ben and Trent were raving about last year when they went to Shell, Wyoming, and shot there. And I was telling them it's like I used to, I hitchhiked out to there. I actually slept at one of those. Uh, there's there's a, a yurt around. Well, not a yurt, but it's a, it's a converted flatbed to haul bales on stuff like that but it's designed to actually go up in the mountains for sheep herding and those things are actually very warm and extremely comfortable because i was talking to the owner there it's like well i can't go anywhere is there a place for me to sleep i have no money and the owner of the bar told me it's like hey just go on over there i pictured of it too it was crazy it was cool it's like i slept there it was it was an amazing a very fun experience going through a customer's last dance and going through the shell mm. mountain range and stuff it's a Absolutely gorgeous place to go out to and such, but uh, this was the one that f- kind of fell into place for us. And then, and plus, also trying to balance out everybody else's schedule and then ours. And it's like, yeah, this this seems to be the best one. And I have tons of PTO, so this one is going to be a uh, a must-have. It's going to be a fun trip for regardless of the whole weekend.
3: Yeah. The, the mountain archer fez, I mean, I know Brandon Waddell, the owner and director of those, he's, a, he's a great guy. I hope to also make one of his events. I've ever since I started, I used to do the tack events all the time, but then once I started directing my own, it's just, you just don't have time to to do that. So I told some of my buddies, I'm like this year I am going out West to do like, I need to get back and and actually do one of those, um, you know, for fun. And All the the drama and the hoopla around tack, uh, it's, I mean, I'm not trying to speak bad of it, but it's really become a who's who in the archery world. And I'm not looking to go out there and wait an hour to shoot each target. Uh, You know, I want to go out there and shoot and have a good time. So I hope to make, uh, it's going to be between uh, the Mountain Archery Fest in uh, Durango or Wyoming. It's probably going to be the Durango one in, I think that's in early June.
2: I think so too.
3: And because the Wyoming one is kind of when my wife and I are hoping to do a little road trip out west, and I just don't think that's going to work out. So that's, I think, that, uh, that's July
2: 7th through the 9th. The reason why I know that's because it's the same week at Toma. So I think your cousin would want to see you out there in, uh, in Toma. Plus, I would like to see you come out there too and hang out as well. It's always it's always a fun fun hoot when you and John show up in the and the vehicle and such.
3: Well, I might be in Montana that weekend uh, with uh, doing a camping trip with my wife and scouting for elk hunting if I get a Montana tag.
2: I I would take advantage of that too. I'd do the exact same thing. Now, getting down to the last event of the season, King of the Hill three D. I'm. A, I, I participated in it last year, and dude, it is so much fun. It will kick your ass. And Jeremy in the group, or in the in the chat right now, knows what of a dick I was because I only told him it was just to wear boots. And Ben, him, and Ryan were just aching. And I am so glad that I actually took the time to go through rehab and take care of my hip. It's a little. It's not quite. I'm having some issues with it right now, but it is. It is a a monster of a day, and it's so much fun. And I lost. So many arrows. It was crazy. Or, well, it's a, not necessarily lost them. I put one in a tree. I broke one off a rock. I broke another one off one of Reinhardt's uh, rebarb binds on it. So there, there was one right there, and I was just down to one. So I shot After Dark 3D Scramble with one <laughs> arrow. It was, it was, it's like, it was so much uh, fun. I'm still, I still recommend everybody to go. And plus, the best part is like, if you're looking for a challenge and you want to avoid the long lines at this is a great opportunity to do it. Even, even long lines at R100 too, as uh, well. Yeah,
3: R100's R- ridiculous. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It, those are some long lines. R100's for a, a very casual, it's like going golfing for, but for archers.
3: And that drives me nuts, to be honest with you. I, I can't, I've done a couple of those too. I'm like, I, you know, it, I mean, more power to you if that's your thing. Great, I've great. I just wanna I want to go shoot my bow when I come when I go to events. But yeah, dude. I mean, the king of the hill. Uh, so as of the day, we have eighty five people registered to give you an idea. Last year at this time, or last year at the end of January, we had fifteen people registered. Over half of the people that are signed up have heard about us. It's not their first time doing the event. So we have almost half of those people that half of the eighty five people that this is their first time coming, and it's because they're coming. From guys like you that have done the event that said hey you got to come out here and do this thank you to you and to everybody that has participated in this event over the years i never thought it would have grown into something that it has now yes it's nowhere near the size of attack or probably even a mountain archer fest but for a local shoot that we can experience kind of similar topography what you're going to have in the mountains you get a great workout uh it's great people I don't know. I I just, it's the people that come to that event. Same with all my other events. It's the people that come to them that make it great and make it a fun time to hang out. So, so we have made some changes, uh, to make it even, I think it's going to be better. So last year, each unleash time, what I call each unleash time that you have to choose between the three, uh, starting courses, uh, last year, there's a total of 12 shooters that could potentially be signed up for that. I've dropped that down to 10 so that there's not, there is a few little hiccups where there is some holdups and I don't, I don't, I want to try to avoid that as much as possible. So I've dropped that 12 down to 10, but I added more people in to where they could sign up after the last unleash time. So if you have, I mean, if you're familiar with the registration, I forgot on, Saturday, the last Unleashed time, I think is 1040 or 11 o'clock.
2: It's, it's 1040. And then, then, yeah, 11, all courses open to start your second course.
3: So so I have it. I think that 20 or 30 people can sign up for that time. So we can still get the same amount of total people. It's just, it's just spreading it out a little bit different. So I think that's going to help. Uh, what else is going to be different? Um, the courses are going to be similar. But there is something that Nathan is working on uh, at Tyrol, which we're not for sure is going to be done yet or not. If it is done, uh, we're going to have a lot bigger area for for base camp, and possibly that front range is going to look a little bit different as well, too. So he's looking at that that bottom parking lot that's right there by the barn, right off the road. Uh, That's going to get eventually, hopefully this year, this spring filled in and that's going to be the bunny hill right there so that so and then there's going to be a different another parking lot added back above us in the upper lots there's going to be more parking available up there
2: okay yeah i'm looking at the map right now on the website on which i'm going to drop this link in the chat
3: um so nathan is hoping to get that done this year we just don't know you know with 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 stuff if that's going to be done yet or not so I say that because the courses probably will be a little bit different. I do want to touch on, so I send an exit survey to everybody, uh, and I want to say well over half the people uh, completed that survey last year. And that gives me kind of an idea of, you know, basically I'm taking the temperature of that event. Like how are people, you know, receiving it? What are some things that we can do different to maybe make it better? Blah, 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 blah. I think everybody that responded to it from it said that, they, you know, yes, they'll for sure be back or yes. Nobody said no way. Like this is totally not my thing. There were a lot of, with that said, there were a lot of people that had that voiced their opinions and that's fine. Cause that's what this is for, voiced their opinions on some of the target setups. I'm not changing that. They're going to be tough. Uh, th- you know, there's going to be debris on some of them. That's just the way it is. Uh, and I totally get, I totally get that yes, you'd never take a shot through brush, or yes, you'd never do this, or yes, you'd never do that. Well, guess what? These aren't live animals. These are targets. These, I have them in place so you can test your gear, okay, and you can see what your gear is going to do. If that limb is, you know, halfway between me and the target, I don't know what my trajectory of my arrow is going to be. This is a perfect time to test out to see, all right, what is the trajectory of my arrow? If that, that branches covering the heart, you know, at 20 yards and the targets for, well, let's be realistic. The target's going to be more like 80 yards and the branch is going to be probably at like 60 yards. Right. Where's your arrow going to be? You know, so it's, it's stuff like that. It's fun stuff like that. It's one of the, you know, the question of what's your favorite target or what was your favorite scenario uh, and what was your least favorite? It's almost a half and half. I mean, seriously half the people are going to say, that's my favorite target. And half the people are going to say, I hated that target. I don't, you know, (laughs) why did you do that? You know, the climbing, the the climbing bear that you had to shoot between two trees and the only shot that you're going to get in the foam was a kill shot. People hated that. I mean, I got like, like nasty messages from that, but I also got, I don't know, probably the equal amount of messages saying that was such an awesome shot. Like (laughs) bring that back for next year. So you, you gotta, I, I take that stuff. I do take it seriously, but I also, you know, obviously there's something that really stuck out where I got a lot of people saying, Hey, I don't like this or whatever. Uh, and it, and it, and it was leaning towards that. Then I would, you know, obviously take that out or change it or whatever, but I didn't get any of that. You know, if for every negative, there was a positive or there is more positives and negatives. So if if they didn't complete the survey, it's still out there for them to take.
2: Yeah. I, the my favorite uh, range of it all was the, the front range, not the front range uh, what was the one that he had us go with no, the Savannah range, that was my favorite one because that one actually, you had to start from the bottom, over in the parking lot shoot those long range targets out there that threw a loop because it's like you're shooting target number one, the sun's right on your face, you have no shade because you have to shoot with next to that cone and so that may, that definitely pulled a challenge because I think it was like a badger you had to hit, and you know, it's the badger's right in the shade and so you can't really see the t- the, the 12 ring, but you know it's there it's like when you hear that foam you're like oh good it's home but i think my favorite one of all of all of them was on the western range and that was would have been i think it was like seven eight or nine it's where you had to kneel down and you had to get this arc through i can't remember what target it was and man jeremy lost a couple of arrows on that, and he's still in the group i believe but i was able to uh, uh, Ryan and I were able to get the arc just right to get between them and and hit foam. It wasn't, I don't think, I think it was at least a five or an eight, but it was not a dead, it was not a dead shot on a, not a, not a de- uh, bullseye on that one, but boy, that was so much fun because I actually had to readjust like three or four times because I stand six foot two. And so I'm trying to figure out like, where am I going to be able cause I can't squat cause that's just too uncomfortable and I can't kneel too, can't kneel on the dirt. So I had to back up, kneel on this log and I was able to squeak it right through and just hit that foam. Then with, uh. Jeremy's PS23s, the way he has it spiraled, it had enough lift, and it hit that uh, branch that everybody hit. It had a pile of broken (laughs) arrows. It was ridiculous. (laughs) But it was so much fun because it's like it really pulled you out of your head and really had to figure out the aerodynamics, the arc of it all to make sure you can least hit foam. Cause like I said, I let, I ended up the day with one arrow left. That's after shooting, starting my day off at like five o'clock that morning, meeting up with Ryan and Verona or Veroqua and then driving all the way out there. And we didn't get back home. I didn't get home until like one 30, but dude, that 3d course, are you doing that again? That 3d scramble at the end of the night?
3: Oh, uh, you know it. So we're doing the, we're going to do the after hour scramble. Uh, it'll be Saturday evening. Uh, we might even, uh, wait a little bit longer to start it because I think we got through just about half the targets before it got really dark.
2: Yes. Yeah. Is that, I, I is think that all was right? Just, yeah. We did. We did get through all of them, but it was nice having you, Bob, jo- John was there too. So you had the three of you. So we were able to crank through it pretty quick. We can I mean we had what forty. 40- Forty archers Forty people. Yeah. And we managed to crank through within two and a half hours, which is extremely impressive. And I feel still feel bad for uh for Ryan because he still couldn't find his tar his release.
3: Yeah. And we looked for it. We just I don't I have no idea where
2: where it went. But he did upgrade though. He did uh his dad heard about a story and so for as a Christmas gift, he told him, Go pick out your new release. He chose an Ultra View release that came out this season with the um the back tension release and he's been practicing with it all season. So it's, it's, he, he likes it.
3: So there there is, uh, we are going to have hopefully more stuff going on. So Friday evening, I don't know what I'm going to do yet, but a lot of people did request something fun to do Friday evening for those that are shooting Friday. I don't think we'll do a full on scramble, but we might do like a, a, an eight target or a 10 target challenge. Uh, you know, who can shoot the best score on these. It'll be something like that. So stay tuned for that. Uh, Saturday afternoon, we do have, let's see, we have the outcalling competition. We're bringing that back. That's going to be better than what I was, you know, last, this past year is kind of the first year that we did, it. actually we did it a couple of years ago. So we learned a few things and we're, that's going to be a better event. I, I'm looking forward to that. Working with Angie and Travis, we're going to come up with some good ideas and we're going to make it more realistic because I think a lot of outcalling competitions, it's about how good can you sound? You know, how realistic can you sound like an elk? Well, guess what? It's not always about how realistic you can sound. It's about the emotion. It's about your timing. It's about the sequence. So we're going to do some different things with the outcalling competition, and we'll release this ahead of time so people know how to to plan and prepare. So we're going to do some different stuff with that. Then we're going to, RMEF is going to be there. They have a huge raffle that they're doing.
2: Yes. I just posted that in the chat too. Oh, Awesome.
3: So I think they have the last I checked with Kevin with RMEF that was a couple of weeks ago and they had over a hundred tickets left, 200 tickets total. It's a hundred dollars per ticket. You can buy as many as you want. There's 20 prizes and at least 10 of those 20 prizes are bows. It's stuff that is good stuff. So uh, I think Matthew's from uh, RMEF or RMEF has gotten Matthew bows and then Jeff Johnson, Just Performance Archery in Dodgeville, which is the... Uh, pro shop that I go to. He's uh, helping them out with Hoyts, and I think possibly Elite as well, too. I and mean, don't qu- It says it on there. But so get those tickets uh, purchased sooner than later, because uh, the RMEF uh, Wisconsin chapters are starting to have their banquets. I think this month or for sure in March, there's several going on in March. And if they're not sold out by then, they're going to push for those to be sold at those. From my raffle I did last year, I had some people say, I wish you had to be there to win it because the guy that won it wasn't actually there. This raffle through RMEF for those 20 prizes, you do have to be there to win that. You're going to be hanging out. If you buy the tickets, realize that you need to be there to win it. Not your buddy. You can't get the ticket to your buddy and do whatever. You need to be there to win that. You know, a little behind the scenes stuff that is to help nathan out and tyro basin uh he has you know he has a full staff on board just for that event because he's usually not open on weekends so it's to get people to stick around drink your drink eat your food have a good time i'm sure we're gonna have some some music we're working on uh i have some ideas for some music working with a few guys some ideas about that and then so we'll do that raffle and then go into the uh, the After Hours Scramble, which I'll have a sign-up for that as we get closer to summer. But again, that's going to be capped at 40 shooters again. There is something I, I am going to announce on Saturday. I think I'm going to announce it this Saturday, but I do have a special giveaway for King of the Hill. Once we hit 300 registrants, I'm going to do a giveaway. And I'm not going to say what the prize is just yet, but you're going to want to win this prize so that you can potentially use it at King of the Hill.
2: Oh, sweet. And you are correct. It is a Matthews, Hoyt, and Elite. And the bows that the, they're going to be doing is the VX-29, the Hoyt VTM, and the Elite Omnia, which is, I think, out of all three bows, the Omnia is the real winner. I mean, Elite has a lot of technology into it. Jeremy can can uh, talk about it, too. But when it comes down between these three bows, the Omnia is the one that I – if I win, I'm going to go for the Omnia just because it's just – They got the set technology they got a lot of bells and whistles in them that nobody really else is coming with there's a lot of technology in there too as well i wish that um they would reach out to not only um elite hoyt and matthews but also gearhead archery along with expedition archery darton uh, athens i mean those are some sleeper bows that nobody knows about and they're just as competent as the other bows that are listed on here and some of them are actually cheaper and even though
0: well
3: it, it's it's interesting you say that because working with kevin uh with rmef i mean he's a he's a regional director for them and then also myself trying to find prizes and stuff like that for events he had a hard time i'm having a heck of a time like i can't i will say this the state of the economy right now is not despite what sleepy joe has to say it is not going well for a lot of uh a lot of companies and uh I think people in the hunting industry—they had a great couple of years, a great two-three years of running there. People are just holding on to their money right now, and I—I I totally understand that. Uh, so, so companies are holding on to their product; they're not willing to, you know, dish out anything for prizes. And the type of discounts I'm looking at getting to uh, the purchase stuff is maybe 10%, five to 10% discounts is what I'm getting from, for example, pack companies. I've reached out to every pack company there is because obviously the endurance event. The DMAT games, backpacks are the critical player of what people use it's their gear backpacks
2: and boots not having it man it's strange because especially when most of the industry is based out of china anyway so it's like that's just kind of frustrating you know it's like but i um there's a here's one new kicker that i learned that t and k hunting gear out of uh, rapid city south dakota they're actually with their bino harness they actually vest the energy and is actually going to like so your bino harness strat has those four those four points well he actually engineered a bladder for it so this way then you can replace out your 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 backing for it with the bladder uh, harness this way then it can be hold up to 2.1 ounce liter uh, uh, bladders in there so this way it goes and that's like that's awesome nobody else on the market's doing something like that
3: yeah that's cool Uh, uh, I I am familiar with his 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 gear and to be honest with you, I have not reached out to him.
2: He'd be a great guy to go to. Plus, I also mentioned everybody else that we talked throughout throughout the day with. But, th- like, if you could do, if you were able, to, like you said, you're going to do a special release uh, thing, I would reach out, I'd talk to David or reach out to, um, to Mondo regarding their products because th- those would be a great thing for this event because I I use both products. I've had both my podcasts, they're both suit their purpose. I look at the bow hitch as a quick draw release because it's like, because I've walked around pretty. Practice with it, with having an arrow knocked and having it on my uh, bow hitch. It's easy. I can just quickly move it off silently and come to full draw with very little movement. The bow sputter takes some practice, but that works great for doing the the hauls up the hill or when you or when you don't want to carry the weight and the way he has his stuff set up. I mean that that would be a fantastic gift to give away and stuff like that.
3: Yeah, I think I think the both those have their place. I think I think the the bow hitch is probably more geared towards the actual hunting scenario uh, or even you know some of the events it would it would fit well the bow spider is appealing because a lot of uh, a lot of our competitors put their the bows on their packs for when they're doing the hiking portion and for example in the quiver shiver this past weekend and even uh, beyond that you know kind of when I'm directing the events I'm kind of standing there watching obviously everything going on and the amount of people that struggle getting their bow on their pack or off their pack. This past weekend, uh, Tanner, who third in the event, he might have been able to squeeze out second uh, if he was having a heck of a time getting his bow attached to his pack. And it took him over upwards of a of a minute and a half to two minutes to one time. Part of that is, you know, I'm not pointing him out saying that he didn't work with his gear. I'm not saying that. But sometimes it's just getting the clips in and getting the bow position just right, especially when you're in a hurry and you're trying to do it fast, it it can be a hassle. And and that you know the bow spider. If anybody doesn't familiar with it, just Google the bow spider. It does look. I haven't personally not used it, but I've seen videos of it. It it does look like it would be something pretty conducive. Oh
2: yeah, it's yeah because the way it mounts onto your pack is it, it it's a 2 point, har- two point uh, system that it mounts onto your straps or however works with your harness. Uh, and then it, it, you can you can you pull it towards yourself towards your body, and then it then it unlatches and you pull. it straight up and he's he sold me on it in Iowa Classic last year for it that's when I booked an uh, uh, a appointment with him to hang up. Then then I ran into my buddy Ben Klausman he told me about the bow hitch I had Mondo on here I got that and then Mondo just released a single point harness now so this way then if, if a guy's looking to have an AR and uh, to to, to um, have a multi-purpose single point harness this is the perfect setup for it because now I can I have one harness that can work for my bow and my AR in a matter of seconds I can transition without any issues but you're right the what it's not dogging on the on the competitor but it's like when you have when you're tired when your adrenaline's pumping you're, you're trying to move on the next step and you're and it's like you know the, the 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 key phrase is slow is fast fast is slow and it's like and it's but it's like the breathing exercises going through it so but having something like that to have that ease of use man people are going to really appreciate it because it's like i i've packing in into going up the bluffs here in wisconsin man it's nice to be able to have both your hands free just in case you happen to fall and when you're out in the bluffs or coming downhill and you carrying when one hand is taken away from being able to stabilize yourself you run on the risk of break hurting yourself in a, in a traumatic well with that said jeff
3: there is uh, i do want to touch on this before i see that we're pushing two hours here it's kind of ridiculous that because i I'm, I'm not a big talker but eh, it's all right it's me So I have come up with a a DIY training program uh, I have collaborated uh, with the good folks at Fit to Hunt. Uh, they're out of uh, Missouri. And I've come up with uh, a DIY training program that people can purchase. The first phase, it's a four-week phase, phase one, uh, just went live yesterday, actually. And uh, I've had a lot of requests for, for people. I guess for those of you that don't know, I, I, my day job, I'm a, I'm a fitness coach. Uh, I do classes. I do hunter fitness stuff and all that kind of stuff. So the beast mode, archer challenge stuff kind of fits in with all of that. But so I've had a lot of requests for people to say, hey, what program would you recommend? And being in the fitness industry for 20 plus years, it's an industry that I don't really personally care for. Uh, there's a lot of posers out there. So this, <laughs> right? Liver King. so this program is specifically designed for those that are going to be competing in our events. It's going to get you built up for the endurance event. It's going to, you know, be specific training for the BMAC games, but then also people that are looking to go out West. It's it's a program that you'll be able to follow and get you in shape for that. I do have a program coming out shortly that's called Flatlander, the back country for uh, those of us that live here in the East that don't have mountains to climb every day. You know, that's a common thing that I get on social media from the haters. Oh, I'll just go climb a mountain. Well, oh, we don't have mountains, so we have to come, we have to be creative. So these programs are, are designed for that. It's, uh, uh, the BMAC one that just came out. There's some sandbag training. There's some specific workouts to do, but in this first phase, I focus a lot of, uh, a lot of the effort or a lot of your time on rucking basically, hiking with a way to pack. Uh, and I talk about the intensity that you should be at uh, working on duration and not distance because especially this time of year, we have snow on the ground now. So obviously, you know, your two miles or whatever it might be is going to take you a lot longer than what it is if if there wasn't snow on the ground. Talking about interval training and, and stuff like that. My my philosophy is doing something is better than nothing. But if you're going to spend the time and do something, do it so that you get the best return on your investment. And that investment being your time away from your family, all that kind of stuff that you're spending on training uh, yourself to be healthier, hopefully feel better, and just be a better overall, if you're a parent, be a better parent. Obviously, our our number one goal is to be ready for the season this fall, and that could be rather be an elk season season. Uh, a bear hunt, a sheep hunt, or just a midwest bow season. Like you should go into that season being as fit as you can because it's easy to get burnt out. It's easy to, you know, spend days upon days hiking miles upon miles and thousands of feet of elevation. Well, let's take this for example. The mid, John and I this past year. So we had the elk hunt, put on a lot of miles, a lot of elevation, we come back, we're home for a week and a half, we leave for South Dakota and do a mule deer hunt. That mule deer hunt was a tough hunt. I mean, I think we we put on more miles mule deer hunting than what we did elk hunting. The climbs were just as steep as elk hunting, maybe not as long, but there's steeper I think even sometimes steeper you do that and then you come back and you want to go white tail hunting to be honest with you by the time it was whitetail I was I was dragging like I was like I didn't want to carry all my crap into the woods you know I, I felt like I was a sporting goods store walking into the woods with all the crap I needed to go white tail hunting that was my fault I just got I got burnt out from having two big hunts back to back and then wanting to get out and and do some whitetail hunting so i'm blabbing on here but i guess the 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 moral of my my story is is to get it go into that season as healthy as you can rather be you know whatever it is for fitness that you want to do eat right make sure you're hydrating all that kind of good stuff it's just it's common sense stuff that all of us know but it's the it's the uh Implementation that most of us fail at, and also the consistency. It's just like shooting a bow, right? If you grab that bow and shoot it once a month, or you're not gonna, yeah, you can you could still make a good shot, but if you had to make multiple shots, are you gonna? You're just not gonna be good. You're not you're not gonna feel as confident as if you're out there practicing every week. Not saying you need to shoot your bow every day. Obviously, maybe once you get close to bow season, you probably should be. But uh, I think. I did a um, a live feed on the Fit to Hunt Instagram page a little bit ago uh, this evening, and I said there's three things that we should really be focusing on right now as season is ending uh, here in Wisconsin, and that is uh, proficiency with our with our weapon, with our archery equipment. Uh, making you know this is the time of year to make sure your bow, you know, get your bow retuned, get it all ready to go, and and ready for 3D season if you're shooting for 3D and stuff like that, but. Uh, be proficient with your weapon, land management, and that can be for private and public guys. I mean, private land guys—you know, you're thinking about food plots and all that kind of stuff. But for us that strictly hunt public property, get out and scout. You know, do your e-scouting, but nothing beats getting your boots on the ground and checking out different pieces of property and learning just the flow of of what that looks like. Not necessarily looking for sign or anything like that, but just understanding where are the Pinch points and the funnels and all that stuff so that you kind of know ahead of time before season starts so you're not in there clunking around with all your crap looking for a spot to hunt in the middle of October. Land management, both public and private property, and then also obviously fitness and, and health and well-being. I said, you know, there's old saying, abs are made in the kitchen, right? we hear that, that, that it's not necessarily the workouts is what we eat. Well, if abs are made in the kitchen, then would you say that our elk or deer, are they killed in the off season? Are they killed by us being more proficient with our weapons and understanding the layout of the land and just being, uh, more fluid with our, with the gear that we use, you know, so all of that stuff leads to us having hopefully more success in the fall. You know, it's, uh, Luck favors those who work hard. I believe uh, we all need to be lucky, and really, when we harvest an animal, especially an elk or a big whitetail, there's some luck that go, that is involved with that. Uh, but I think for those that work hard and put in the time and understand stuff, luck is going to favor those more than those that uh, are sitting on the couch until a week before season. Anyways, I'm gonna get off my soapbox, here. Jeff. No,
2: that was that was a beautiful sermon right there. Welcome, thank you for preacher uh, Brian uh, Austin here. But no, you were actually re- exactly, absolutely right. I am still doing my 3k a day. Well, not doing as heavily because I'm, I'm having some issues with my hip. But um, but I am still doing. When I go to the gym. I spend my first hour doing three miles. I do 5k every time I go workout, and then after that, I, I mural has a mural targets has a really good workout. I'm not looking to put on bulk. I'm looking just to kind of maintain like to just to create that muscle fiber and continue like being disciplined in that whole aspect of it. The only thing I can't do is the rows because got thick thighs and it's like my beanbag hurts after, after a couple of rows, man, it's not, <laughs> it's not fun, but boy, I'll tell you what, you get it, you get 40, 50 rows and man, you're, you're, you're uh, definitely going to be happy. When you draw that, that first, after you do all that, man, it's like, oh, it's just like you could feel how much really how much easier it is because the whole, uh, their whole, uh, nine exercise workout is just designed for the archer, not look just to stay in shape, maintain that. But yeah, you are right though. That's how you are win championships, shoot that elk, get your bear, get your sheep, you know? doing all that fun stuff, and I think this is a great place to end because we hit everything on there. All the details we spoke about are in the chat or also on Brian's website. You can follow him on Instagram and Facebook and join his group and be part of it because this this, um, atmosphere that Brian and John and Nate have created is a brotherhood and and a sisterhood too in that matter too, because there's a lot of females out there just fucking savages that are just fun to compete against, compete with because they shoot just as well as any man out there on the on the line.
3: Uh, I, I do predict it's it's gonna be a very uh it's gonna be very soon when a female wins the overall uh event, I do believe. Uh and I think uh the endurance event, it's very likely that a female could do that because uh you know, just genetically speaking, women are a little bit better at, at endurance stuff. Uh, so I could see a, a, a woman walking out uh that event with the, an overall championship.
2: Yeah. it Was it Jeff's wife, Emily? Man, she, they have four kids and I, she could, I, she could probably be the number. She, she's always usually the top three competitor in the female uh, uh, classes and stuff like. That. So she, she'd be the first, she would, I'd have my money on her. If she's, if it, with everything that she has going on, man, she's four kids is a lot of work.
3: Well, Emily, I I, th- I think Emily has won the the BMAC games the last two years. I do believe that the uh, female division is going to be the uh, the the toughest division uh, this year. There is a lot of ladies that are working really hard, and it's really cool because they've all kind of motivated one another and and uh, they you know check themselves out a little bit and and uh, I, yeah, I just think that the uh, de- depending on how some of the teams break up, I think there might be some teams in the past that they're going to, uh, not compete as a team, but as an individual. Uh, and it's going to be really interesting. And, and there's going to be people, uh, well, like Dana, uh, Nathan's girlfriend, she was, you know, she had her, her little girl a few weeks ago. She competed at the BMAC games. Uh, she was, I think she was six months pregnant.
2: So that's pretty cool. Oh, and also at the the King Hill three D, I have pictures of gals holding like the the big backpack harnesses with their kids in them. It's like they're shooting, like, like you know that one in the back in the Savannah course where you had to shoot through the spider webs and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah They yeah. they had the kid on the back, full draw, sending it, man. It's like hats was like I told like, this is so cool. It's like, do you mind if I take a picture, post it on social media? It's like, sure, go right ahead. All smiling. It's like this, it was it was really cool. It was really appreciative of that whole thing, and I never. Uh, I was hoping to meet up with um, a couple of guys because they own, they own a shop out in over by Appleton area. i am not exactly sure where we were, I was hoping to meet up with them, but we never crossed paths out there during that uh, during those shoots for HHA USA.
3: Yeah, well, that's something that we didn't talk about either. Uh, I guess just a quick little plug on that. Uh, the endurance event is part of a much bigger weekend with HHA USA. Uh, so HHA USA is kicking off their year that weekend at Blackhawk Hunters right down the road. I think it's mission 23 or 24. I can't remember, but
2: it is mission 24. I, I have it in my calendar. Yeah. Cause as you as you can tell, I have all HHA stuff right. behind me. I do that on purpose.
3: So they have the 3d shoot that weekend, Saturday and Sunday. You do have to sign up for that ahead of time. Uh, and then also Saturday night after the endurance event at 7 PM, they're going to have food at Tyrell Basin. There's going to be food, pizza, and uh, I forget his name. There's a country singer, a very good country singer, that's going to be playing live music at Tyrell Basin. Uh, but those tickets, I think there's two or three hundred tickets that are are available, and I know a good chunk of those are already gone. Uh, so if you're competing in the, in the endurance event or you want to come out and hang out and be a part of that, uh, I'm sure. Jeff will uh, post that website or go on HHAUSA.org. Or if you go on my the page for the endurance event, I do have links for all of this on the, the BMAC endurance uh, page as well too.
2: That you do. And I have um, in my link tree, I have HJUSA on there. So it's like it's easy, really easy to go find, look at all the details. Of course, I'm going to be having Chris on the podcast, a bunch amongst like Jake Mansell and a few other people as well, up in preparation for the upcoming season because it's something that uh, Chris and Logan have already – Gone over several times. Same with same with Jake on their aspect. And do uh, funny thing is too. It's like before Chris even announced the schedule, he let me know about Toma because he's like he's excited for it. I have uh, a couple things up my sleeve. I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna, might do. Poor man's burnt ends, uh, smoked. And it's, I'm taking the day off. Uh, it's gonna be just an amazing day because I'm just. Gonna, last year I worked and I and I smoked meat. So this year I'm just gonna smoke meat. It's like I got I have a whole thing planned out for it. But anyways, everybody, thank you for sticking in the chat. Thank you Jeremy and and Bob and Ed and everybody that came on here. Thank you for uh, coming on the podcast, Brian. It's like I'm I'm really glad our friendship has really uh, done something amazing.
3: Yeah, I appreciate you. I appreciate all the listeners, and uh, just thanks for this opportunity and getting the word out, and uh, get after it.
2: Thank you guys for tuning in, and also go check out uh, Beast Mode as YouTube channels. Thank you for everybody tuning in.
3: Thanks, Jeff.